Today on the Dad the Best I Can show. And that's another reason that uh, you'll have people try to talk kids into just go ahead and focus on one sport. It's very easy to do if you have a parent. I just say a couple of the key words. You know, I think he really has a shot to play college baseball. Or, you know, I mean, I see him just like I saw this kid 15 years ago that played pro ball. You say a couple things like that, and parents' ears perk up, uh, perk up, and they think, well, man, maybe that could be my kid. The chances of that happen is not very good at all. 5% of all high school baseball players get a chance to play college baseball. Not Division One baseball, college baseball. And then you take 1% of that 5%, and then you take 0.05% of that 1% and get to the big league. So the chances are not very good, especially if you're thinking about 7.5 billion people on the planet. I, I put it in a calculator one day for my son, just at 500 million, it's as high as the calculator would go. And I say, so here are your chances. And he goes, those aren't good. And I said, yeah, you're right, kid. but there's, there, there's still a chance. And I said, with your DNA code and the fact that I can teach you a lot of things that other kids may not be able to learn, you may have an opportunity to do it, but you're going to have to put in a whole lot of hard work, brother. Welcome to the Dad the Best I Can podcast on BYLR Radio. My name is Rob Roseman, who wants to be a millionaire legend, Chicago futures trader, Vegas poker pro, now I'm a dad to three kids, ages eight, six, and three. Phew! Wears me out just thinking about it. Each week we bring on high-performing dads like you, entrepreneurs like Jesse Itzler, CEOs like David Cancel, athletes like Ken Rideout, to tell us your stories, your dad tips and tricks, to help all of us make it through dad life. Go check out the brand new Dad the Best I Can book now on Amazon. I take the best nuggets from interviews with 52 dads like Jesse Itzler and package them together in an easy to read book full of dad tips and stories that any dad can relate to. It's the perfect gift for any dad in your life. Grab a copy today on Amazon. I appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen. Okay, enough out of me. On to today's episode. All right, welcome to the Dad the Best I Can show. Today we are lucky to be joined by Dustin Mosley. Dustin is a former Major League Baseball player. He was a first-round pick by the Cincinnati Reds. He is also the owner of Proformance Sports Academy in Little Rock, and he is the inventor of Pro Boards. And, of course, he is a dad. How's it going today, Dustin? What's up, Rob? Thanks for having me. Yes, and Dustin, we, we were connected by my good friend here, Chris Burnley, who is joining us on the podcast. He is a Little Rock guy, the, the biggest little town on earth, apparently. That's Say right. hi, Chris. All connected. Hey, guys. How's it going? What up, Chris? So where are you calling in from, Dustin? I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas. All right. So mm-hmm. with that, we've got a, every time I hang out with Chris, I hear about more people from Little Rock. He told me about Clinton. He tells me every other time. Who are the – why is everybody from Little Rock? Name drop some people here, Chris. Oh, geez. You got, uh, you got a guy like Charles Portis, who is a famous author. He just passed away last week. And he actually, at the time that I was living in Little Rock, he lived right down the hill from me. And I always kind of kept my eye out for him. Never got to see him. Never got to meet the guy. But uh, you know, he's the guy who wrote True Grit. And so, uh, you know, he's world renowned. So we got those, we got a guy like that. And we've got guys like Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton. And then of course you got your guy here on the, on the podcast today, Dustin Mosley, former, uh, pro baseball player. Scotty Pippen. Is he from there? Scotty Pippen is actually from Hamburg, Arkansas. All right. Uh, and played for the university of central Arkansas. All right. My alma mater. Well, yeah. Dustin, Little Rock is rocking. So uh, you are a dad. How old are your kids? My son, Cooper, he's 10, and Avery, she is 6. Good ages. Chris, how about you? Chime in. How old are your kids right now? Got a 7-year-old and a 4-year-old. And I got a 7, 5, and 2. So we are all busy in, in excellent dad fashion. I gave my two kids a iPad and a Switch and told them to beat it for an hour and a half. So doing the best <laughs> we can right here. <laughs> That's it. All right, Dustin. So we want to talk pro boards and everything, but first, you are a former Major League Baseball player, and you're going to tell us all kind of tips for helping coach our kids. But can you tell us a little bit about your backstory, how you came up? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Texarkana, Arkansas. Uh, my mom Sharon, my dad Terry had a little brother named Dylan. He's four years behind me, and 
Uh, we grew up. I always tell everyone we we always had enough. We didn't have anything more than that. I think my dad bought our house for you know, like three grand. Uh, he put some money into it with my uncle. He did carpentry work early on before he got involved with the fire department and became a paramedic. And uh, man, it was just a it was a a neighborhood that was super diverse. Uh, there was a lot of kids that uh, parents were kind of questioned whether or not they want them to spend the night with us or not. But it was a great neighborhood. Uh, it was in not the greatest part of town, but we had uh, some land uh, with with the house. And man, we just played basketball, football, baseball. It's all we did. Again, we didn't have a whole lot uh, uh, to keep us inside, and the house was small, so we spent most all of our time outside. And uh, mom and dad were just highly involved in our life. Both of their stories, uh, you know, are kind of the typical Texarkana stories. We're just kind of going through hard times and coming up, meeting each other, and wanting to create something different for, for their family moving forward. They had a lot of brokenness early on in their lives. And so that's what we did. We did sports. We didn't hunt. We didn't really fish. We did that a little bit later in life. And we just, we got going. I played every sport you can imagine growing up. I uh, was always you know, a, a little bit better than most people, uh, you know, as my athleticism and coordination was better. And, but that's what we did every day, you know, you're developing skills and doing that my little brother the same way and uh, get to be, uh, you know, a senior in high school, actually my junior year, I get recognized in North Little Rock by a guy named Alex Slattery. And he sees me and asks my parents if he could take us and three other guys in his forerunner I think it was the following day to Chicago to try out for the area code team for the White Sox. So my, my dad was like, I don't know who this guy is. He had to do a little background on him. We jumped in that. He took, he gave the okay. We jumped in the, the uh, forerunner, drove down there. I made the team. A couple of weeks later, we went to Long Beach State and played in the area code games. And when I got home, I went from having a couple letters that were just kind of like invitations to camps. It's more of a moneymaker for the colleges than anything to having multiple division one schools on the answer machine by the time we got home. I think it was like 18 or 19 schools and ranging from North Carolina to Arkansas to LSU, uh, A&M. I mean, the list goes on and on. And then everything started flooding in. I go from nobody uh, to now they're projecting me to be a potential first round draft pick after all the word and they saw the stats and other videos and things like that. And, my very first game, my senior year, there were 33 scouts in the stands. I think probably more than there were fans on our side. And the next thing you know, I just it just took off. I, I pitched so well my, my entire senior year. I uh, committed to the University of Arkansas. And, you know, when June came, I got drafted by the Cincinnati Reds, the 34th pick overall. And we ended up deciding that school was going to be the best fit for me. Man, that is incredible. So were you a pitcher since you were a kid or were you playing everything? I always wonder. It seems like everybody that makes the majors is an incredible athlete and they play all the positions. How young were you pitching? Yeah, so I started pitching when I was 10 years old. Uh, but I, I, was a, I was a quarterback. I played until my junior year of high school. Uh, I played basketball all the way through to my senior year. We played golf. We played soccer. I mean, we did everything uh, sports-wise outside that that uh, that we could I mean that's just what we did and dad was super hands-on with us and I grew up my dad was uh I talked I talk about this trying to find a balance for parents and even for myself sometimes it was very performance-based which can be really tough on a kid it can create real resentment between he and a parent or she and a parent and you have to be careful with that there's got to be a balance and the way you balance that is is that if you're if you're holding me accountable and you're staying on top of me and you're we doing all those things and I'm putting the work in and you also have to affirm me at some point in time. It can't always be like I told you so or if you do as I, I told you to. There has to be that place where you, you feel that they're proud of you, that you're making you're making headway. Me and my brother are a little bit different. I want to do anything and everything I could to keep my dad off my ass. My brother would, would like purposely do stuff to keep him on him. <laughs> so <laughs> so you know, if my dad asked me, Hey, did you work out today? Yes, sir. Did you did you throw today? Yes, sir. Did you dribble today? Yes, sir. I, I want I don't want him to to judge me any form or fashion. And I'm telling you, when I talk about performance based, it could be how I mowed the yards, the lines, how well it was weed eated, did I did I wash everything off with the water hose rolled up, all those things. You think he'd been like a military guy, but he wasn't. But that's just how he was. Looking back at him, I mean, you know, I'm eternally grateful uh, for him raising me that way because now I'm mentoring young guys, got people working for me, and they were raised the opposite way, and it's really, really tough. 
uh, you know, criticism, any type of information is tough for them to take on. They, they take everything personal. And so growing up that way, I, I figured out it wasn't personal. It was, it was just something that he uh, wanted us to do. There was, there was a standard and you either live by the standard, you dealt with repercussions uh, every single day. So I decided to take the easy way and do everything I could to keep them off my ass. And for me, being an athlete and then developing that work ethic uh, due to my dad being extremely tough on me. But then I had my mom where she was kind of yin and yang, man. My mom was a super compassionate, love on you, pick you up, affirm you. So I had a, I had a great balance with parents. Uh, and it's interesting how, you know, they say opposites attract. My mom and dad were very, very much opposites, but it worked. And then uh, everything just came together. You take all those pieces of accountability uh, plus the work ethic, plus end up being six foot three, being pretty highly coordinated. You put all those pieces together and God having a plan for my life and they end up being uh, a first round draft pick. There's lots of pieces that have to go in there. And, and for me, they all came together. Yeah, that's incredible. And like you said, I can imagine there's a lot of parents. So I always think of, uh, what is it, Todd Marinovich, the USC quarterback, his dad and so there's a there's a fine line between pushing your kid and and pushing them too far. It sounds like your dad towed the line pretty well. He told it he told it really good. I mean, him my my brother and he, you know, that relationship uh wasn't good. I ended up I lost my dad at 21 years old and you know, that's that's an, a whole nother podcast of what happened there. Uh but dealt with a lot of personal things, but the way my brother and him interacted, you know, for my brother's personality, it didn't go great. And my brother has, has gotten past it. You know, he understands now he's got kids. He understands what dad was trying to accomplish. But at the time, because of the differences of personalities and, and I'm a little bit more of a people pleaser than my brother, yeah, they, they had a really rough relationship there towards the end of my dad's life. What was it like? So you were 18, drafted in the first round. Does that mean you're just shipped off to Cincinnati or spring training? How'd that work? That must have been a shock to your system. Yeah, so I, I got drafted, and Cincinnati was so cheap back then. They they had to do it from the fiscal 2001 budget. Uh, so I didn't sign a, a, until two, literally 2001. Now, we come to agreement on everything, but we it waited to the last day before school started. I mean, I was literally had my stuff packed. I was going to go to Arkansas because all we were looking for was a, was a fair offer. And Chris knows Derek Broniker, who owns Frontline now. He was at Stevens. Uh, which is a big financial firm here in Little Rock at the time. And, you know, uh, Derek and, and a guy named Kevin Scanlon were handle, handling the deal. And I think the first offer they made me was like 500 grand. Well, this slot was worth like 970. And so we we're like, well, we're not doing that. We're, I'll go to school. I got a, I've got a full ride, to Ar a le legitimate full ride to Arkansas, 100%, which doesn't happen. My dad did a great job of leveraging that thing between all the schools and we said, man, we're, we're going to hold off. Then they came back at 700. They're going to split it over five years. They said I was a multi-sport player. I was, but I mean, I might have been able to play D2 or junior college basketball. I, I probably could have thought I kept playing football. I probably would could have been a division one quarterback, uh, you know, from where I was early my sophomore, junior year. Uh, but anyways, we said, well, that's not going to work either. We're not going to divide the money up over five years and all this and they're just trying to find any way to get me signed and then we just we stuck to our guns and then the day I can't remember exactly what day was August something we're going to you know heading to school and they came and said we'll give you 9 30 and I, I went prayed about it thought about it what I wanted to do and it's a good thing that I made that decision because what some of the things that happened in our my, my personal life and within my family within that next five years if I wouldn't have had that money I'm not sure where our family would have would have been after we lost my dad. Yeah, that's a that's a, a lot for a uh, 18 year old to handle. So it does sound like it's good that you had the support of your family. I'm sure not every athlete has that when they're uh, going pro. Yeah, and so after after that, we got everything signed. I, I went to instructional league. They called me Jimmy Bonds for James Bonds because no one was supposed to know I'd signed because I was signing the deal in 2001 and they had certain rules and things there. And then uh, 2000, 2001, I went to spring training and uh, went to Dayton, Ohio for my first year. And so we went from like 50, 60 people in the stands at Arkansas High, maybe, maybe more sometimes, state championship, things like that, state tournament. And then we had 10,000 a night in Dayton, Ohio. So it was quite a change for, for a young Texas kid. 
So you were, uh, then you were called up. Uh, what were you called up for the Reds or you got traded by then? Yeah. So, uh, I played with, uh, let's see here. I was in a ball in 2001. I went to high 2002, got called to double A in 2002. was pitching well. 2003, I went, uh, started in double A, got to triple A. So 21, I was in triple A. That year, that next year, they did a big trade with the Atlanta Braves, brought in a lot of older guys that filled up the AAA roster. And I think I had like a 265 uh, ERA my 2003 at 21 years old, but they sent me back to AA and then went to AA, AAA. That, off, that uh, winter, I went and played in the Arizona Fall League and got a call that uh, I'd been traded to uh, Anaheim Angels is what they were at the time, so LA Angels now. And, uh, yeah, so 2004, 2005, played with the Angels, got hurt. 2006, got healthy and uh, had a great spring training. Got called up uh, in, let's see here, it was in July. Made my major league debut, got a win. Ended up setting the record for Salt Lake City for wins. Uh, I think 13 wins as a starter. And then in 2007, I uh, had another great spring training and, and made the team out of camp because we had some guys that were hurt. Stepped in. Filled a role, started long relief, mid mid relief, everything you can think of, and I never came back in 07. And then uh, moving forward to 08 uh, in the big league, so sophomore year, uh, struggled. 07, I had elbow surgery, probably came back a little too fast for that. Uh, up and down between 08 and 09 with the Angels, with that in injuries, got uh, non-tendered. And then I signed a free agent deal with New York Yankees. Got to the big leagues with the Yankees in 2010, 11, and 12. Played with San Diego Padres. And uh, 2011, actually solidified myself as a major league starter. Uh, got to start and, and pitch really well. Again, the injury bug hurt me. 2012, my very first start. Made a pitch to Matt Kemp. Felt something in my shoulder. And ended up having surgery two months later. And uh, I rehabbed for two and a half years, created performance in the midst of all that, went back in 2014, pitched for a couple months, the shoulder couldn't hold up, and so it was time to retire. So that's the, that is the super quick cliff note of, of what happened over the years. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, you hear all these guys get traded and moved around, and I guess you didn't have a family then. You were This is pre-kids, but what's that like going, not knowing where you're going to be week to week and just bouncing around the country? Yeah, you you just didn't know any better. I, I tell people all the time, you, you just lived in a bubble. It's been kind of a kind of a tough transition once I finished up playing ball is because you just everything you're just catered to, everything's done for you. You come home in the offseason, you have three or four months and you kinda have to have true responsibility uh, of everything that's happened in your life. And, you know, for a lot of players, especially baseball players, because baseball players uh, seem to be much more lazy than some of the other sports. You can just kind of get by with just, just pure ability. And so it's really tough for, for guys. And, and for myself, I had kind of a backup plan. I was always thinking ahead and reading and kind of always had this entrepreneurial spirit and was making and selling stuff when I was young. And I kind of knew what I wanted to do. Uh, but for a lot of guys, they don't. So when we finish up, it, it's almost, I kind of compare it to, you'll hear the same thing with, you know, the military, that you have this camaraderie, you have this, this, this brotherhood, you have all these things. Obviously, you can't lose your life in the game of baseball. I mean, if you took a foul ball or a pitch back, you could, but not something like the military where you know you potentially sacrifice your life. But it's the same thing when you come back, you get reintroduced to the real world and all these things, and you're no longer this professional athlete. Now, you used to be, but the, it's different. When you are that, everyone sees you and treats you and it's a certain type of way. And a lot of people say, well, you know, it's not my, uh, it, it's what I do. It's not who I am. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, it's not truly my identity, but it is your identity. And as much as people want to say that it's not while they're playing, that's easy to say. I was the guy I was like, I would rather have my hat down low and just sit in the cut and, you know, be polite and nice to people. If they never knew, I don't want to tell them it's not my MO as Chris can tell you. But at the same time, uh, it puts you up. It's, it's a platform. It's a pedestal that the way people see you and the way people treat you. And when you get thrown right back into the mix of everything else, you're kind of like, okay, who am I? What am I supposed to do now? Where do I go my whole life since I was, you know, 10 years old, nine years old? I wanted to play in the major leagues and now I can no longer do that. I did not retire 
because I wanted to retire. I had to retire because of an injury. So that you're mad, you know, you're kind of mad inside. There are many days and nights that I would kind of cry into my pillow that nobody even knew about something that, you know, we don't talk about men aren't supposed to do this. And the other thing is no one cares. Hey, you made a couple million bucks. You played in the big leagues. You, you were able to do, you know, something that less than 1% of people in the entire world will ever get a chance to do. No one really gives a shit that you're struggling right now. But this happens with a lot of athletes and you see it happen. And then the media usually, you know, calls us out. Lamar Odom, you know, you think about it. This guy was a good guy. Lots of good things that goes on. He's candy. He likes to eat candy. That's his only kind of vice or habit or that we, anyone knew of. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, caught at a, uh, a brothel with a bunch of cocaine and hookers. And you're trying to, replicate the feel of going out there to that field and that's why I say with sports is that you always feel something you're always feeling an emotion you're either happy you're mad uh you you know you could be sad of a loss that anything that happens you're anxious you're nervous you're fired up I mean there's always an emotion going on and then when you get through playing you're like okay um we have we have a child oh man amazing feeling you know, you feel that you feel all those pieces, emotions, you, you have sex with your wife, you feel emotions, you go to the casino and you play some cards and you put a little bit too much money out there, you know, you shouldn't, but you feel something. So, you know, you're trying to find that peace and fill that void from what you've always wanted to do and having all those emotions all the time and then trying to find your place in the, in this real world where everything almost seems boring now compared to what you got to live in and be blessed with. So you're then trying to find your place of, all right, what do I do? How can I fulfill that piece? And for me, it was performance and pouring into the kids. Uh, I think that it was a saving grace for me because the mindset where you are when you have a significant injury like that, where you're going to be on top of the world and signing a $2 million deal for me, which was my biggest deal to uh, no one even calls you, checks up on you a year later, you know, other than just your friends or family. It's, uh, it's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, that's all. I mean, you do hear about these guys. And like you said, the media, they love to tear everybody down once they're gone. But I mean, do that's you right. have any support? Are there any peers that you can talk to that that had retired at the time? Or are you kind of just like on an island? No, you're on an island, man. You know, Major League Baseball, there, there's there's nothing in place or nothing that it's passed out to us. You know, the formal retirement. I, I mean, if you're big time, mine was just I'm just retired. There was nothing more to it. Uh, but no, there's there's nothing really in place for anybody. There's a there's a huge huge amount of struggle for lots of players because again, that's what they want to do their whole life. They can no longer do it, and now they're searching for who they are. Where's their their identity? So, you can do one of two things: you go find a counselor. Uh, you know, I I got counseling through a couple of different groups. I, I joined a thing called School of Man that helped me work through a lot of things. Cole Rogers was a big part of of helping that. A guy named Tim Craig that became kind of just mentors of, of providing, you know, more of a manly base, I guess you would call it. And, and what does that mean? I mean, we, we, we had to read books. We had to show up 530 in the morning. We had to do uh, different crucibles and different things to test us, make you get uncomfortable, make you feel something. And that's the, that's the place is that when you come out, for so many people, we just want to get comfortable. We just want to settle. We just, we want comfort. And we're in a society these days that that is the biggest thing. That's why everybody bitches and complains about anything and everything is because it's so comfortable. You know, we don't have to hunt for our food. We don't have to have hand-to-hand -hand combat for things that we need or want. I mean, you know, you go to jail, something like that happens. So there's all these pieces from a, from a man perspective of having this kind of inner uh, warrior piece of you that everybody we can watch any movie that has these characters and we want to be those superheroes right and so you're trying to you're trying to find your place through all of it and for me uh doing the school of man reading books uh, i, I kind of kept everything to myself i got burned a couple times of opening it up to people about certain things and it was kind of used against me so i just suppressed all those pieces and i would i've got journals laying around and i would go on walks i would just try to figure things out on my own but again you know the kids helped me talking to the kids seeing them and their intentions and them putting forth the effort me being able to hold them accountable and me holding them accountable would then make me an example and i have to hold myself accountable it's kind of like being a pastor of a church you know you're going to have the same you're going to be tempted by all the same things the world's tempted by but the accountability is to your congregation to your people to not be a hypocrite so those are big pieces that help me yeah i mean that's that's 
empowering to hear because, you know, I think everybody feels like they're going through stuff and we think these professional athletes, maybe they're immune to it, but everybody's going through something and you got to find support. And like you said, I think it's a lot harder for guys and dads to seek that out. So that's, that's a good suggestion, maybe to find a group, find some kind of camaraderie that can help, help get you through that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the biggest things that um, I miss when people talk about D, what is it that you miss? I, I, I miss the camaraderie and I miss competing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the two biggest things is that you ask anybody, no matter what sport we play, you and I right now could go play pickup basketball and you may beat me five of five games and there's going to be a sixth game and it's going to be a seventh game. <laughs> and I'm going to continue <laughs> to play you until we're dog tired. And then I'm probably hollering at you the next week or the following day going, you want to hoop again. I mean, that's just, that's just part of it. But I think that's what drives people to, to get to that level. You're getting Chris excited. He's an ex-basketball player. He might have to uh, challenge you when he gets back to Little Rock. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk uh, kids. You've got two kids yep. and clearly I imagine they're playing sports and Chris and I've got a couple kids that are just starting out in baseball and softball. And we're already seeing the the parents getting involved, the coaches, the specialization. There's a lot to untangle. What give us I know you got some good strong opinions on this and obviously you got the experience. Tell us about yeah. your kids in sports and what you're seeing from parents in sports and maybe just some some tips that can help guide us. Yeah, you you want your kids to play everything. You 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 know that they want to play. And when I, when I say that, that they want to play, things that they seem to be interested in. When the time comes, they're kids, right? They're not going to want to do anything. If they're, again, comfort, right? They'd rather stay, stare at the iPad or the TV because it doesn't take any energy. So you have to motivate them, force them to, to, to go play. You're not being that dad. Being that dad is where you're dragging your kid out there by the ear and, and hitting balls at him. And if he misses one, then you're hitting the next one 10 miles an hour harder. And then, the next, you know, that becomes that parent. Uh, so, you know, you have to hold people accountable. We need accountability. Your, your wife, our wives hold us accountable to not go out and hit the streets and do what, what, what normal men that we, everyone has that idea of, oh man, I wonder if we test the waters, all those things, but there's accountability. The same thing with your kids is that you want to keep them on the right page and you're going to have to motivate them and get them going. But with, when it comes to sports and specialization, it's something that hurts our business for about three months every single year when, when baseball season ends and football season begin. And, and that's okay. And I'll continue to, to make it be okay is because I want kids to play other sports. And most businesses like ours that are predominantly baseball athletes, they don't care. They want to, they want to tie you into a year round program. They want to talk you into this because it's just about a dollar. It's not about the well being of your child. It's not, it's not about truly taking care of them. There's a lot of programs that are starting to, to, to lean more our way, which is good. You're having guys come back to retired plan or finish up coaching, you know, for many years in college and have kids and they're seeing it happen to their own kids. They don't want it to be done to their kids. And it, it, once that happens, it becomes a little bit more personal uh, and you understand a little bit better. So we're seeing that, but we want kids to play everything for a couple of reasons. Number one is when they get into high school, you want them to have less free time on their hands so they can't get in trouble. The second piece is, is that if you specialize too early, if, if they're playing three sports, four sports, uh, you don't know which one they'll be the best that they could potentially get a scholarship for. So you want to keep the doors open and have them playing everything as long as possible. But the tough part these days is that the high school coaches uh, don't allow for that. You know, they want you to, they want you to specialize because they just want you because they want to win because they want, you know, to, to, to have their, their chest puffed out and their ego up. And so that's a tough part. And then a lot of times the coaches don't get along with each other. The baseball coaches don't communicate with the football coaches, football coaches don't communicate with the basketball coaches. So you have a big disconnect there. And that's another reason that uh, you'll have people try to talk kids into just go ahead and focus on all one sport. And it's very easy to do. If you have a parent, I'd just say a couple of the key words, you know, I think he really has a shot to play college baseball or, you know, I mean, I see him just like I saw this kid 15 years ago that played pro ball. You say a couple of things like that, parents' ears perk up uh, up, and they think, well, man, maybe that could be my kid. The chances of that happening is not very good at all. 5% of all high school baseball players get a chance to play college baseball, not division one baseball, college baseball. And then you take – 1% 1% of that 5%, and then you take 0.05% of that 1% and get to the big league. So the chances are not very good. 
especially if you're thinking about seven and a half billion people on the planet. I, I put it in a calculator one day for my son, just at 500 million, it's as high as the calculator would go. And I say, so here are your chances. And he goes, those aren't good. And I said, yeah, <laughs> you're right, good. but there's, there, there's still a chance. And I said, with your DNA code and the fact that I can teach you a lot of things that other kids may not be able to learn, you may have an opportunity to do it, but you're going to have to put in a whole lot of hard work, brother. So they start to understand it. Uh, but, you know, as far as all those pieces go, what parents need to understand is that sports do way more than just this idea of potentially getting a scholarship to do it. What it's doing this entire time is teaching them how to be accountable, how to be disciplined, how to work with a team, how to hang out and be around people that may come from completely different neighborhoods, completely different ethnic backgrounds, you know, religious backgrounds, any of these pieces, it brings you together and you work as a team, you start to say, hey, we have way more in common than we don't have in common. And that's the beauty of sports and sports have always done that in times of, of countries being in really tough places. Uh, you know, early on, we think of, uh, of Hank Aaron and Jackie Robinson and Roberto Clemente and all the things they went through and to see how people would pull together because of sports. And we saw it through boxing and everything else too. I think sports do so much for so many people. And that's the thing with baseball for us, the travel baseball is makes it really tough where we're really, we're undercover. We're not talking about it too much, but we're trying to get baseball back on the map. We're trying to get it affordable for kids. We're trying to scholarship guys and do things to get more kids involved in the sport because the sport's so great and it could lead to them potentially getting the college education out of the deal. And if we do that for some of these kids like myself that come from some pretty rough neighborhoods, it, it, it may be, uh, you know, the, the calling for them to completely change the, the future of their, uh, their families. Hey, Dustin, I, uh, I've, I'm a firm believer just like you are in, in our kids playing multiple sports. I think it develops their hand-eye coordination by playing basketball. It will help them in their baseball program. By playing baseball, it will help them in their soccer program and so forth. Uh, one, one issue that I'm already experiencing with a seven-year-old, my seven-year-old daughter, we're bumping up into issues of she has a choice just because merely because of time between, hey, do you want to play softball this season or do you want to play soccer this season or do you want to play lacrosse this season? You can play one of them or you might can even, we could squeeze in two, but we can't get in three. We got to be selective on what we choose. Can you give us some guidance? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? How do we pick and choose? Because I know coming from Texarkana and coming from where I grew up, back in the day when we were growing up, you really had one sport, one season. Once that baseball season was over, you rolled into basketball. Once basketball was over, you rolled into track or you rolled into football. So what do you, what do you think? Yeah. Well, you gotta, you got to find programs and get her involved in, in, in places that are going to do that, and it's going to be seasonal. They're not going to try to talk into this year-round stuff. You know, so for, for our baseball team, and we try to motivate all of our affiliate team program that are part of our affiliate team program, is that we play a max 10 tournaments, and we go every other week, and we finish up uh, right, right in, you know, late June, early July. That way it gives a couple weeks. You want to take vacations. We don't do anything during spring break. We give the kids, we let them have a summer, let them live and, and play. Uh, so that's what we do. Some of these people are playing 15, 20 tournaments a summer. You know, it's every single weekend. And then they continue to go. Then they're playing in the fall. We don't play fall baseball. We talk our coaches out of, to, out of it. Now think about it. We've got 16 affiliate teams. I think we only had four teams play fall ball, which means of, six, of 16 teams, there's 12 teams left over, 12 teams at 10 to 11 players per team, per membership. Now think about from a financial uh, place on our business, we lose all that, all that revenue, right? But it's the right way to do it. And that's what, that's what we do. And so you just got to find the right program and they're out there. There are coaches that want to do it the right way that don't want to overload these guys that want to teach the fundamental basics and get them out there, keep, get them moving. And that's what you have to find. If you can't find it, you have to coach yourself, Chris. That's true. Well, and I'll tell you, you know, what you just said, it's about ultimately letting the kids have fun. You know, it gets back to let them have fun, especially at that age. You want them to develop their fundamentals and develop their skill set. But ultimately, let the kids be kids and let them have fun. Right. That's right. You and you want them to move. You know, I mean, you, you got to think about it with schools and everything else. we got kids stuffed into a classroom and don't stand up, sit down and be quiet. And don't do anything. Then you go to you know, you go over and have your lunch and we go have lunch with Coop every Wednesday. And it's like, you know. 
putting you you're at level one it's like and they've been stuck in a classroom let them be at level five like let them eat obviously we don't need to be throwing food and standing on top of the tables but this just just let them let it out then they go outside here's your 10 minute recess all right you, you got them stuffed into a room for how long and then you want them to you, okay go move for 10 minutes that's not what we were designed to do that's why we have the obesity rate where we have we have people frustrated you know with school I, i've got so many guys that have a college degree and they're out of school. And I'll say, Hey man, you got to check this book out. Have you read this book? I ain't read a book since college. You see what we're doing to education, man. You're, you're, it's pissing people off. They don't even want to do it. It's being so forced uh, that, you know, it's, it's a struggle there. And that's my opinion on it. Now, a lot of people say differently. And I understand education can bring a ton of generations out of poverty and different things. But there's, there's got to be a different way of doing it. And if you let kids move, if you let them think, it's been proven, you let them run around and get, and get the endorphins up, get the blood, their focus is better, everything's better when they come back into the classroom. So with all that, I think sports, more importantly for any of it, is just to get them to move. Get them to move. Get them to train for something. Set a goal and, and stay disciplined, create a plan. And those things help with business just like they will with your sport. Yeah, that's great. And I, I, I noticed with my kids, I mean, I started playing a lot of these sports a lot later. It seems like by three, four, they're already getting them involved. So it seems silly in some ways to say, oh, he's not a basketball player. He's six. I don't even think I played organized basketball till eight. So there are, are a lot of new things coming at us as parents that we're not even sure how to handle. And like you said, the incentives of some of these coaches and leagues are not necessarily aligned with us. So I think you know, like everything, we've got a lot to learn too. So it, it's really helpful to hear these kind of things from you, Dustin. Yeah, for sure. And listen, my son right now, uh, you watch his movements and you go, okay, you watch him run and go, hey, kid's a, hey, kid's a pretty good little athlete. He's really, he's really thin right now. He's super skinny, Chris. Uh, he's super tall, but super skinny. And, uh, you know, people are, oh, okay, he's not, he's not the greatest on the floor by any means on, in basketball, football, baseball, He's at the back end, but guess what? If we keep him interested and keep it fun, keep him moving, and, and he slowly finds his way by the time he gets into junior high, gets into high school, guess what? If we've taught him the fundamentals, if we've made it fun, and he finds that inner push that he wants, he really wants to do it, and he wants to put that work in, guess what? He'll be right wherever he wants to be. But it's up to the kids as well. That's where you hold them accountable. If you know kids, some kids come out of the womb. I was one of them where it's just like, that's all I want to do, eat, breathe sports. Some of these other kids, it's not necessarily the case. But guess what? That's okay too. Because guess what? If you wanted to be a doctor or you wanted to have your own podcast or you want to be an entrepreneur, any of those things, those things you can do for a really long time. Sports, there's a very small window. So I'm never going to push it super hard on Coop. Like, you got to do this. And if you don't do this, no, man, let's see what happens. Let's stay dedicated. If it's something you want to do, I'm going to be here to hold you accountable. I'll be willing to spend the money to help you get instruction, whether it be basketball or football, something outside of my expertise. But we're going to get you going, and then it's up to you. But at the same time, what's the backup plan, Coop? What is it you want to do when the sport's in? And that's something that's never talked to these kids because the parents don't think it's ever going to end. They never did it. They, 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 they weren't very good at it. They admired all the athletes. you got to think about in this country, as men, you know, we're admired by, uh, you know, how much money you have. Uh, you know, are you an athlete? How athletic you are and, and how many women? you, you know, you can attract and date different things. I mean, that, that creates, you know, this, this masculine uh, piece of this country that can sometimes be toxic for a lot of people. So those three categories, well, guess what? I mean, there's 95% of people that are never going to be into those categories. So are you not a man? No, that's not, not it at all. Right. But those are the pieces that are, that are broadcast as and taught and women buy into that too. They saw the jock athlete in high school and now their son's pretty good. And they remember how popular he was and we want to be that. And then the parents attached to it because maybe the parents weren't super athletic or super popular. And they remember in high school and college of how those people were seen or how they, they projected those people. And so now you just have all these pieces attached to it that not only are their kids going to be able to potentially be that, they can also kind of be part of that whole thing. And now we can be popular and we can be all these things and it can just create this such a, just a kind of a terrible place for that kid, uh, for the parents and, and becomes their identity as well, opposed to just letting kids do it for what it's worth. And, 
and, and have fun, move and, and see what comes of it and not ro- ride their coattails. But that's where we're at. And, you know, and that's never going to change. All we can do is try to implement better rules. You put better rules into the game. You make it seasonal. You get the high school coaches to work with one, one another to make kids, you know, able to multi- uh, play multiple sports. And then we start to really be able to change some things. But other than that, I mean, it's become a money-making business and billion-dollar industry with youth sports. You know, there's a Time Magazine. I read an article. I think it was either last year or year before, and it talks about all those things. And you just got these sharks coming in, seeing an opportunity to make money, and they don't care one bit about the kids or the relationship between them and their parents. Chris, you got a question? <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot to take in, man. That's uh, that's some. You got some gems there. Some gems. Um, you know, one of the things that stood out to me that that uh, you mentioned earlier was just your relationship with your dad versus how your brother was with your dad. Um, I lost my dad at a young age too, um, but I was I was very much like you, Dustin. I was always wanting to to please him and and do everything you know to to really to to make him proud. Um, you know, now that I have two children, uh, you know, ages seven and four, I'm already seeing though, they both came from the same two people They came from me and my wife, but both of them are entirely different kids. And my daughter, I think in one way, she's going to have to be approached and, and handled a certain way, especially when it comes to, to sports or activities or just life in general, in, in a different way than how we approach my son, you know, mm-hmm. um, yep. what, are, what are your thoughts on, you know, raising a son, not even really necessarily raising a son versus a daughter, but just your approach um, with, with kids in general, uh, with your business, you know, you see some kids who they need that discipline. They need that, you know, to, to, they need that word of encouragement. And then you, you have other kids who don't necessarily need that, or maybe don't have that at home. Do you approach those kids differently? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every, every coach, every personality, or every, it should be coached differently. Every personality is different. So me and my brother, 100%, my daughter and my son, two different people, you know, my daughter will literally, she's in gymnastics and she's working back bends and these, these uh, pushovers and all this kind of stuff. And she will literally get in there, cry herself to sleep, trying to do it a million times. Now Coop, Coop could say, oh, I went to got, you know, some basketball lessons on dribbling right-handed. I'm going to go outside and try it. He'll try and go, huh, I just can't get it. Oh, well, right? (laughs) He'll walk in. And, you know, it's just the difference of mindset. So I have to really kind of stay on Coop. Hey, creating a plan, man, we have to practice. If you want to be good at something, you're going to have to put in the time. And then you got Avery over here. I'm having to pull her back and go, Avery, sweetheart, it's okay. You're not going to get it in one day. And she's flipping out, you know. So it's, it's, it's just, it is about coaching people differently. It is about being aware of those kids, but it's also about them and just talking through situations and not getting so frustrated with them and understanding whatever it is that they're trying to do at that particular time. You can tell a kid's giving you effort, right? If he's giving, he or she's giving you effort and they're just not getting it, you got to back off of them a little bit, give them a little space to figure it out. It's just, it's a movement that they're trying to, trying to master, right? And so for, for so many parents, they don't understand that. Now, if the kid's not giving you effort, feel free, bust his ass or her, whatever you want to do. Like that, we're not going to get out here and waste each other's time. And we're not going to spend money when you're not going to get any, give any effort. And we talk about that all the time on our team, effort and attitude. You punch out, you give up runs, you walk guys, as long as you're trying to make adjustments and you're getting after it and you're keeping your stuff together and you're not showing your butt, we do not care. Win, losses, doesn't matter. It's about development and getting these kids where they want to be. So, yes. Every, every kid is different. I've been doing it with lessons. They'll come in and you got the kind of got the helicopter parent. Sometimes they, they get it with me. Now the parents stay back. I think they just kind of talk to each other like, Hey, you might just want to stay in the chair, or stay against the wall when Dustin's giving instruction. Cause he, he might, he got, he might make you feel uncomfortable or call you out a little bit. You know, I don't do it disrespectfully uh, because these people are paying harder and money. And I know that they want their kids better. Otherwise they wouldn't have brought them. But at the same time, you brought them to me to do, do what I'm going to do. Uh, if, you know, if my kid gets in trouble, I'm not going to walk to the attorney's office and tell you how to do your job to help my kid, you know, hopefully get out of trouble. But, but that's the same thing will happen. People with a little bit of 
intellect think that they know everything about the sports. Rob, hence why I'll do these little videos kind of picking fun at them, and people get it once they, if they know me. Some people that don't know me, they get a little butthurt about it, but it's okay. Uh, but that's the, that's the thing is just paying attention to those kids. But I tell people all the time, I tell all instructors and everyone part of performance, we're not here to give the parents what they want. We're here to give the kids what they need. Let's take a quick break for our dad tip of the week brought to you by Kickstart Reading. Do you have kids between the ages of three and six? I've got two boys, and when my older son was going into kindergarten, my wife and I quickly learned that we had no idea how to teach him how to read. We found Kickstart Reading and watched one two-minute video together, and you could see his confidence take off. Bonus, I felt like dad of the year. Here's another dad talking about how Kickstart Reading is helping his boys learn how to read. Hey there, this is Chris Heller, and I'm a big fan of Kickstart Reading. Each morning before school, I show a video to my four-and-a-half-year-old son, and now his little two-year-old brother is getting in on the action as well. I'm a big fan of the videos. Highly consumable and engaging for young boys. Definite recommend for all parents out there who are looking to get their kids off to the right start with reading. Kickstart Reading. Go to kickstartreading.com and use the code DAD to get 65% off right now. That's D-A-D, DAD. See? It works. Kickstartreading.com. Now back to the show. All right, Dustin, on the Dad the Best I Can show, we like to do one dad tip. You've given us a ton already, but do you have a tip for other dads out there? Yeah, so something that we started doing, I guess I started doing this about two years ago, and I try to do it weekly. Sometimes life gets in the way in basketball practice or baseball or gymnastics, something comes up. But, you know, I started it with my son. I think here soon I'll start it with, with my daughter. But when Coop was eight years old, uh, I started having a, a, I call it a boy's day. And, you know, I try to plan my day. My, my, my hours are the opposite of most people because we don't open performance till 3 or 3.30 during the school year. And so after I, I, I have a day, it's usually Tuesdays. On Tuesdays, he comes home and say, hey, boy's day, what you want to do? And we just hang. And I don't, and I try not to put any, like anything on it. Say, like, you know, well, we have to go throw and we have to work out or we have to go, you know, I just say, Hey, what do you want to do, man? You know, you know where we end up most of the time, baseball card shop, which is kind of cool. Cause that's what I grew up doing. Oh yeah. You know, and, and we go to baseball card shop. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll go grab some food. We'll just hang wherever he wants to go. We might end up at a movie and my wife uh, understands it and she knows it. And at first she was like, I want to go. I want to go. I'm like, Hey, this is, you know, he's getting to a place where he and dad need to need to hang out. We kind of talk through things and it could be anything and just go out to eat and sit in there talking, leave your phone in the truck, you know, just throw it in there. Tell your wife or whoever that potentially say, Hey, I got, I got an hour or two hours or turn your phone off. That's one of the biggest things, especially with businesses is that someone's always needing you and, and needing you to solve a problem for them. But you just try to turn that off and just spend true time. And you could end up at the park. You can end up anywhere, uh, but just take a day out of the week or every other week and just push it aside because all the other stuff in this life that we're chasing and trying to do that we think is so important. It's not that important. It really isn't, you know, that your, your biggest, you know, reward one day uh, and just, just, you know, we, we, we say like accomplish accomplishment is one day when your kids are successful in doing what they want to do and you've raised them the right way and you taught them how to be polite and, you know, they're giving back and they're going to leave the world better than, than, uh, than, than they left it or, or than they found it. So that's, that's what we want to do. And so having that day, you know, I'm have to start doing it with my daughter here soon and have, have Carly do it with her, when, you know, when she gets a little bit older. But I think it really uh, just makes you kind of get, get grounded again and understand what we're here to do and, and why we had kids. Yeah, I like that tip a lot. And I like what you said about kind of with so much structure and scheduling going on in our lives to at least pick a day or an afternoon where it's just let them pick anything goes. And I think that just creates a balance that sometimes we, we lose as parents and kids. Yeah. And you're, listen, I'm gonna go ahead and warn you. You might have to put like a timer on it because you're going to end up at Target staring at the toy story aisle for two hours. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're Chuck going, e. Cheese is, uh, you're they'll, go, they'll yeah. sit there for hours. You're like, Coop, come on, bro. Like figure <laughs> it out. All right, Dustin, before we let you go, are you up for some rapid fire questions? For sure. All right. We got to do a little sound effect to get you fired up. All right. Dustin Mosley, what is the first car you ever owned? 
owned a Toyota. Uh, it wasn't a Tacoma at the, at the time. It was a four cylinder, just a, just a smaller, it was an extended cab truck. I remember uh, saving all my money up from uh, mowing lawns and bought some rims and tires and some speakers that eventually get, got stolen because my neighborhood was a little rough. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite meal to eat for dinner? Man, my favorite meal to this day, my mom still does it on my birthday, and I'm 38 years old, is chicken tenders, mashed potatoes, and gravy and cream corn. What is your favorite movie of all time? We'll start with drama and then comedy. All right. Um, man, I'll tell you, this, this one's going to be out there a little bit. The movie 300. There's a lot of pieces in that movie that, uh, that, that talk, spoke to me at a particular time in my life. So... Uh, what is it? Uh, Gerard Butler, um, mm-hmm. and a couple other actors in it, but yeah, is that, would that be considered a drama? Oh yeah. That's is a that good more? one. How about, okay. how about comedy? Okay. Comedy to hangover. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Classic. Uh, yeah. favorite live concert you've ever attended. Garth Brooks. I'm not, and I'm not a country guy. All right. I like to ask a lot of the guests, if they were a major league baseball player, what would their walk-up song be? And for the first time, we actually have a major league baseball player. What was your walk-up song? All right. So I've got, I've got a two piece to this one. Um, when I went out, one of my most favorite songs was in San Diego, love San Diego, by the way, I, I hope to one day maybe be able to retire there. Uh, after I've, I've made all my money, so California can't take all of it. Uh, the Dirt Road Anthem by um, uh, Aldine, Jason Aldine. All right. That was that was one that I, I came out to, uh, you know, for the, when I warm up in the first inning. Now, here's one. If I was the closer, if I, I never was, but I had it right there. I was like, man, if I ever start throwing 95, not 90, and I become a closer, I'm going to come out to the Coheed and Cambria and I believe it's called Welcome Home. It is a sick tune, and the closer needs to adopt it. Yeah, that's, I like a, it. that's a good one. I love uh, Trevor Hoffman. What do you come out to? Hell's Bells. That was always like intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, Mo came out to Mariano, came out to Metallica. Oh, yeah. Inner Sandman. So, yeah. I mean, th- that, that, that Coheed and Cambria with that early guitar riff that comes in and then those drums that kick in, that would be sick. I've only heard it. Chris probably knows him, but I've only heard of him because on Howard Stern, one of their uh, Richard is a huge Coheed and Cambria fan. He says like some of the best drumming he's ever heard. Yeah, <laughs> they're really good. It's different, different band. You know, I've listened to him for a while, but that song is it's legit. All right. Before we let you go, tell us a little bit about you told us about performance, but tell us about pro boards. Yeah. So pro board started because of performance. We are eight to 11 year eight to 11 year old group workouts, uh, the kids have tough time focusing. And so we I wanted to create something to kind of keep them in one place that, you know, we could have different sets of dumbbells or, or some, some kind of squat rack or anything. And so you start putting the numbers together and you're trying to, to, to be smart with your money. It's a small business, it's sports training. So there's not a, a ton of money to be made in it. And so you're sitting there going, all right, well, if I buy this, this, and this and have a station for 25 kids and next thing you know, you go, man, I can't afford to do that. And I just had this idea. I said, I've been using bands for a while for my resistance. So think more like the pull-up bands, the really thick ones, you can get them in different uh, widths. And I said, what if I just built something that they attach these bands to and they just stand on it? We have them attached to the wall uh, where they can do stuff for their shoulders. What if we did that? What all exercises could we do? And so it started there. It was just a, uh, a couple pieces of plywood. We cut holes in it and put a little wire in and you could clip your little uh, carabiner or your clip on there and connect your bands. And I had some handles I bought through Amazon and some straight bars that you can connect with ends on them. And then uh, parents are going, what is that, man? That's pretty cool. And uh, one day we needed some extra sleds. And so we put some weights on one of them. It didn't have a back on it at the time. And we could push a, we could push a sled, we could pull it. And I go, huh, there's something to this. And so playing with different spots for the holes, make sure I could do every exercise with this. It almost looks like a skateboard. You know, we, there's two different sizes. And then we were using it one day. We built one a little bit bigger and we were, we put some weights on the side to keep it on the ground. And we were doing vertical work like a Vertimax, which those things are like four grand. And I'm like, wait a second, we're on to something here. So we trained with the summer, the college summer group. 
and we had them use the boards and just getting their feedback from it. Again, I'm using the bands. I'm getting stronger. My body's feeling better. I had four surgeries. All these things are happening. And then I said, man, maybe I can find a little a shop that can kind of engrave these. I need to come up with a name. And I was like, what about pro boards, you know, amongst other names. And then I got on this little website called 99 Designs Online. And um, I had all these people create logos based off some ideas that I had. And we came up with the logo. I found a CNC shop. They were able to engrave my my boards. I then moved in. I released some space from them. So I'm not having to transport boards back and forth to finish them. And then I was like, well, I can stain them with colors. I can put people's logos on them. And I can do, I can really personalize these things. And I can do it pretty and make it pretty affordable for people where they literally have a, a, a gym right there in their board they can take anywhere. I mean, we could we could be doing curls and shoulder press and squats and lunges and anything you can think of right now while we're doing this podcast standing on this board. And uh, your body weight keeps it down, and that's how it took off. And we sold 150 of them uh, last year, and I think we started selling them in, what was it, July or August. So it's, uh, it's something that's taken off, and we got pro guys, you know, getting them. They're, they're, we're putting their autographs on them. We're doing their – uh, the color of their teams because we don't have any licensing agreements yet. And uh, yeah, it's just grown into something out of nothing. It's become its own little business. Dustin, it's really, it's really cool. I've been following it on Instagram and, you know, I remember when, when you and I met, you had just moved back to Little Rock and we were talking and you were trying to kind of debate your next move, you know, and you hadn't even come up with performance yet. And, and definitely you hadn't come up with pro boards and uh man you've just you've done so good uh you know after retirement man so impressed with with what you've accomplished where can uh people if they want to check out your pro boards do you have a website or is there a phone number they could call if they wanted to buy one where where can they find pro yeah. boards yeah so they can just it's it's proboards.com so p r o b o a r d z everything's with a z Dot com and so we have pro boards and on there we have pro bands we have pro bags which are these uh bags you fill with sand and you can there's different weights inside of them little bags that you fill with sand so you can make them lighter or heavier they have handles all over them but you can go on there and you can see everything that we have we customize the colors for you uh we have certain colors that come stock and then if you want to do more than that we can do whatever you want and we can get as expensive as you want to get it i've got a, a high level Artist, who's my brother-in-law, is one of the best in the country, and if not the world, in my opinion. You've probably seen some of Tyler Arnold's work, Chris. It's if you unbelievable. have it, you guys, yes, it's unbelievable. It's unreal how good he is. So, yes. Yeah, Tyler did Coop one. Coop wanted a major league baseball board, so he wanted to look like the front of a baseball uh, on the board, and so uh, Tyler hand painted that for him. Um, so we can do anything and everything, but the best way to do it is go to the website, or you can check us out. Uh, it's P-R-O two underscores boards uh, for our Instagram handle. And then we've got a Facebook and uh, we just got a Twitter going. So any of those, you can communicate with us and we'll send you the website. Or if, if we need to call you and talk to you, we can, we can handle it that way as well. <coughs> Chris, we got to, Chris and I talk about going to the gym way more than we actually go to the gym. I think we need to just pick up one of these boards and work out. Hey, I'm telling you, well, I'm, what I'm, I need I'm is happy. like Dustin's slapping me around going get in the gym get in the gym <laughs> well here's here's the thing so you don't have to get into the gym that's the beauty and this thing is really taking off for for people our age where they're having really really great results from it because it's consistent and and the bands the load is different right so you as you get stronger you can add more bands to it you can double the bands you can quadruple those bands uh, but the bands, the weight's always changing. So your body is always having to resist something different. I don't know the science behind it, but I'm halfway through a book called Move Your DNA. And it's talking about load and frequency and volume and everything else. And what we need to do is that we just need to move. We're so sedentary. Uh, we don't we don't move. We don't do anything. I met a guy the other day uh, who's, a, who's an inventor. He's from Little Rock, too. Uh, Chris, you may know his name, Craig Lanfair. But he's been doing it for a really long time. And he came and looked, and he's super fired up about potentially working, uh, collaborating on some stuff. He's got some bars and some handles that work with bands would be something to be a great addition for pro boards. But he said he'll go to Asia and, you know, certain places he'll go out and in the park, guys are out there doing Tai Chi. And the guys are, you know, 90, 95, 100 years old, and they're going to these crouches and they're moving and they're flowing. 
And he told me about the book and I've been reading it and it makes a lot of sense of, you know, you see people over here that are 90, 95, a hundred, if they're even up moving, you know, and, and when they move their their walks really, really short and they can't go anywhere because the body is just trying to protect itself from getting injured where these people, they're not lifting heavy weights. They're not doing any of this crazy stuff, but they're just moving their body the way it was designed to be moved. And they're still functional and they're still healthy. And that's the thing for us. And the thing I think about all the time for our athletes is how do we keep them healthy? How, how do we keep them mobile? And then even for the parents and the other side for pro boards is how do we get people just to, to move? And it's just like, hey, 10 minutes. Just this, let's start there. Something very simple, 10 minutes. Hey, just go take a walk. You don't have to even run. Let's do some normal things to move. And when you get into working out, once you get in it, you, it's tough to get out. But when you're out, it's very tough to get in because you have all these like high-level expectations of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to look. And what we need to do is we need to get back to it's about how we move. Let's get ourselves moving. Everything else will take care of itself. But we want to be 75, 80, 85. If we have a, happen to be blessed to live to 100, I want to be 100, but I hope I move the whole time. If not, 60 and I can't get out of bed or anything else, then I've already talked to my brother and other people about what I expect them to do for me. I, <laughs> I don't want to be living. here. Uh, right. No, that ain't living, man. Right. Dustin, fantastic. It was a great interview. You can follow Dustin on Instagram. I really recommend it. He is hilarious and he's given you all kinds of tips for pitching for your kids, throwing, everything, and a lot of comedy there too. He's at Dustin Mosley26. Dustin, thank you for being on the Dad the Best I Can show. Rob, I love it, man. I appreciate you doing this. This is good. All right. And thanks to Chris, too. Little Rock represent. Glad I could uh, link you guys up. All right. Yeah, for sure. All right. Talk to you later. See you, Dustin. Take care. Thanks. Thank you guys for listening to the Dad the Best I Can podcast on BYLR Radio. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a dad friend and go check out the new Dad the Best I Can book available on Amazon. I take the top highlights from 52 guests on the Dad the Best I Can podcast like Jesse Itzler, David Cancel, and put them all into a nice little book. Makes a great gift for dad. Go check it out on Amazon. I appreciate each and every one of you listening and talking dad life with me. I'll see you on the next episode of the Dad the Best I Can podcast on BYLR Radio.